It's good to be here with you again and with you online as well. Thank you for coming to this service and being a part of it with us. Um, you know, we've been going through a series. We did a series in January on the Church Unstoppable. If you remember, we picked a word for the year, like we've been doing the last several years. And the word of the year this year is the word church. We felt we need to redefine who we are and what we're, we're trying to do. And, and church was the word we picked for, for 2021. Let's, let's emphasize who we are as a church. So we thought, well, let's do church unstoppable first. Like Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we use this acrostic wife, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism, which kind of defines the four things that we do as a body of believers, okay? And, and it was a really good series. I think we got a lot from it. Well, now we're going to the next step. What does it take from you and from me as a congregant, as part of this church, to really be committed to it? And so we've given four things we're asking people to commit themselves to. We're calling this Beyond the Bleachers. Give, connect, serve, and invite. So I'm preaching give tonight. Next week will be connect, and then the next week serve, and the last week invite. These are the four commitments that make us a church. When we commit, each one of us, to do those four things is when we make an impact. That's how impact happens. So what I'd like to do is preach about those things with you in the next month. That's what's going to happen through all of February. We're going to talk about what it means to be this church that's not just spectators, not people just in the bleachers, but actually in the game. Because that's really what we really need right now, right? If the church ever needed to be the church, at least in America, it seems to be right now. Because America's wandered from the ways of the Lord, haven't we? And we're reaping terrible consequences. I just put down in my little notes here of things that, that happen. Because when we're still in the bleachers and we're not in the game, I think we don't make an impact. But when we're really in the game, we make a difference. We're things like we're paying the price right now in America with things like, you know, division and violence and suicides and riots and unrest. And the list goes on and on of the things that happen. I, I really do believe it's because God's waking up the church. God's calling us to really be his church. And I think it's needed now probably more than ever. So before we go into the message, could you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus, recognizing how desperately our culture needs the Lord. All the violence and the different things that are happening and the riots and the political unrest... Even the COVID virus is like, I, I just can't help but think from, a, from, from your point of view, this is your calling. You're screaming to us, saying, come to me, come to me. We keep trying to find our life and all the things and all the stuff and all the events and all the experiences of this earth and everything it has to offer. And boy, America's got a lot to offer. But Lord, that's not where our life is going to be found. We, we're here in church because we recognize that. Now help us understand clearly how we can be in the game, Lord, not in the bleachers just watching, but make a difference in our culture, our community, our neighborhoods. This is the call of God upon us, Lord. We, we, we know that. Help us see concretely now what this means. I pray that for everybody here. What does this mean in my life? When we say, first of all, we need to give, well, what does that mean? How do, how do I give? Give what? In what ways do you want this to be a part of our church, Lord? 
So I'm asking in Jesus' name for you to really make your presence known here tonight in our hearts as we open your word, as, as we open our hearts. Teach us, Lord, what we need so desperately to know. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, um, the number one thing you need to understand or need to realize, let's say, about Fellowship Alliance Chapel is we are a church of givers. <laughs> That's who we are. If you want to be committed to this church, you need to understand that God created human beings to be givers. You see, the truth is, human beings were made to give. And if you don't give yourself to the Lord, you'll give yourself to somebody else or something else, and it's going to disappoint you. So what we're realizing is in this church is that you need to give yourself to the Lord. This is why God made you. God made human beings to give themselves to him. That's what we're made for. And when we don't do that, we have a lot of problems. And like I said, I think in America, we're reaping lots of terrible consequences because of that. Well, what I'd like to, to do tonight is look at this with you, this number one thing. That's why we started out with give, because, I mean, we just gave so songs to the Lord, right? We, we give sermons to the Lord. We give, give to our missionaries. We give to missions. We to spread the gospel around the world. We give to buildings like the building, and on and on the list goes. I put down what's called the big idea of this sermon. Listen to this. We give ourselves to God, and we give Jesus to people. That's it. Two things. We give ourselves to the Lord, and we give Jesus to people. Everything this church does, you need to realize this if you want to be a part of this church. Everything this church does is only two things. We give ourselves to the Lord, we rededicate ourselves to the Lord, we recommit over and over again because we realize we're here for Him, and He made us to give. That's the, that's the way we're designed by God. And he designed us to also give the gospel, give the truth, give this life-saving message to people that don't yet know it, how badly they need the Lord. I was reminded of this this week. Heard a couple news reports. The first one was about China. And um, it was talking about the underground church in China. Maybe you've heard about the underground church in China. Small little groups all over China. It's not a legal church. It's outside the limits of the law in China because it's a communist country. But there's an underground church with literally hundreds of millions of people. Many estimate well over 100 million people are in the underground church. Well, this news broadcast was about not that church, but the state or government-run church called the Three Self Church. I don't know if you ever heard about the Three Self Church. I've had missionary friends from China tell me more about what that means. But there's literally a revival going on in the Three Self government-run church. Here's a communist country, and literally hundreds and thousands, even millions of people are coming to Christ in the Three Self Church. To the point of this, and this is what the reporter said. I almost, I, I couldn't believe what he's saying. Right now, he said in China, uh, you can validate this. I don't know if it's actually true, but this is what the reporter was saying. This is what I heard. He said, there are more people registered as Christians in China than there are people registered to the Communist Party. What? Yeah. I mean, here we are so afraid of communism, socialism, and China and all this stuff, and God kind of laughs says, okay, well, I'll send my spirit down and blow it up. Like, yeah. And God could do that even in America. We see our culture going that way, and we all just throw the red flag. We all, I mean, the, the white flag, oh, I surrender. We can't do it. We can't change anything. Really? You don't think God can change things? 
God could use this as the most dynamic time in, our, in the history of the church in America with a huge revival. Okay, that was one story. Next story I heard was about Iran. I don't know if you know the difference between Shia and Sunnis. Most of the terrorism is caused by Sunnis. Iran is mostly Shia Muslims, and they fight one another. Well, right now in Iran is a huge Christian revival. Huge in Iran. Now, I've heard little snippets here and there, and this report of this, this article I was reading was telling more and more about the details, how the church is exploding in Iran. Now, here's a Muslim country, and of course, my friends, I have friends that are Muslim missionaries, and they're telling me, oh, Marty, this is like a dream come true. We've never seen more people that are Muslims coming to Christ than we see now. Many of them are very disillusioned by Islam, and they're coming to Christ in numbers we've never seen before. It's happening right now in Iran. Again, a Muslim country, and God kind of goes, huh, okay, boom, I can bring revival. You and I forget, this is God's job. This is God's work. All we are is his servants, and we're created to serve him, but he's the God. He's got the power, and God can change lives. Okay, got to ask a question. With what's going on in Iran and what's going on in China, how come? I'll tell you how come. It's what I'm preaching about tonight. They gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves to telling other people, bringing other people, Jesus, giving Jesus to other people. That's how revival happens. It starts in a church when a group of people in the church go, you know what? It's all the Lord. I give my whole life to the Lord and I'm going to give myself to helping other people find Jesus. When those two things happen, I don't care if it's communism, I don't care if it's Islam, I don't care what country it is, what culture, how bad things are going, how good things are going, it really doesn't matter because God has power over all of it. That's why he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't stop it. So we get all worried about our culture, all worried about all this terrible stuff that's going on and the COVID virus. And I'll say, hey, 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 calm down. You serve the Almighty God. All we need to do is make sure we are really the church. That's how we're going to make an impact. That's how it happened in China. That's how it's happening in, in, uh, in Iran and around the world. And it can happen that way in America. It can happen that way in Bedford, New Jersey. If a church of people like you and me will say, okay, I'm committed. And the number one thing about being committed is what? Give. You're created to give. Well, give yourself to the Lord. Give your, your, your time, your money, your energy to saying, I'm going to bring Jesus to other people. Tonight, we're going to talk about those two things. Number one, we give all of ourselves to God. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles or have your phones, turn to Matthew chapter 22. There's a Pharisees, which were like in opposition to Jesus. He's talking to them, and one of the Pharisees tries to trick Jesus, or it says in this text, he, they tested Jesus. Hey, Jesus, um, what's the greatest of all the Ten Commandments? And Jesus says this, ready? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the Lord your you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Wow, this is genius. Jesus says, let me just sum it up for you. Love the Lord your God. Give. I mean, we even say when you love somebody, what, you give your heart to them? 
That's what happens. You give yourself to somebody when you love them, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Give yourself to, to spread. That's, that's our sermon outline right there. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to bringing Jesus to other people. That's what we're talking about here tonight. What God's calling us to do, and here's what Jesus was saying to, to all the people listening right there and to the Pharisee who was trying to trick them. He's saying it's just really simple. There's only two things. And it's about giving, both of them, because that's what it means to love. You give yourself. Isn't that what Jesus said in, in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world, he what? He what? He gave. In fact, in, in 1 John chapter 4, 4, 19, it says, We love God because he first loved us. We give to God because he first gave to us his son. That's the whole understanding of Christianity. That's why I say to be a Christian is to love. To be a Christian is to give because that's who we are. We're created by God to give ourselves to things and we do that. And when we don't give it to the Lord, we give it to all kinds of many, many unworthy things. Oh, let me read to you from this book. Our mini church has been going through a devotional by Paul David Tripp and there is a page in here I wanted to read to you because I thought it was outstanding. Here's Paul David Tripp, a preacher, teacher, and he says some amazing things. I wanted to read to you if I can get the right page. Here we go. We're all slaves. The question is, to whom or to what? Everyone is willing to make sacrifices. The question is, to whom or for what? We all follow sets of rules. The question is, whose rules and for what? Uh, we all give our hearts, there it is, give. We all give our hearts to something. The question is, to whom do we give it and to what? We were never hardwired to be free. If by freedom, we mean an independent, self-sufficient life. We weren't created by God to, to be like that. We were created by God to be connected to something vastly bigger than ourselves. That's what we're created to be. We're designed to have our lives organized and directed by an agenda that is bigger than our truncated personal desires and goals. We were carefully built by God to have every aspect of our personhood connected to him and his plans for us. And when we reject him, we don't live autonomously. We replace him with something less or someone less. So God, in grace, doesn't set you free because he knows you won't be free. You and I would quickly enslave ourselves to somebody else or something else. So what does grace, the grace of God, offer you? The answer is the world's most wonderful, heart-satisfying, life-changing, and hope-producing slavery. Isn't that quite a line? Let me read that again. So what, what do we get offered in the gospel? The answer is the world's most wonderful, heart-satisfying, life-changing, even fulfilling, I could add, hope-producing slavery. Because we were made to give ourselves to God. That's why we exist, to glorify him. The one who is the final definition of love, wisdom, mercy, and power makes us his slaves. He who alone is able to give us life enslaves our hearts to him because that's where life is found. He is rescuing us from serving what will never give us life. 
you ever look at salvation like that? God's saving you from giving yourself to other things that'll never help you, never change you, never satisfy you. He's protecting us from seeking hope where hope will never be found. It really is true. His call to obey is a tool of his rescuing grace. Wow. It's, it's, are the pieces coming together for you? Is that starting to make sense? I thought Paul David Tripp put it perfectly there. That's why I wanted to read it to you. Well, the big question becomes this then, doesn't it? Okay, Marty, that's making sense to me now, but how do I do it? I mean, do I have to be a pastor? I have to be some kind of religious monk or sacrifice everything, give everything up, uh, give all my money away like the rich young ruler? What, what does this mean? Give yourself to God. Okay, I struggled with that a lot, especially as an early Christian when I, when I was 18, 19, 20. And I'm, I'm going to Bible college and I start to learn the Greek language and I learned some things that really helped me in two verses of the Bible. Turn in your Bible to put the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read these words. Paul says to these Roman Christians, trying to help them answer this question, how do you give yourself to the Lord? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. A living sacrifice, in other words, in your life, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the, what the will of God is, or what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, let me try and interpret that a little bit. He says first, present your bodies. Well, I remember, I mean, I'm in this little Greek class. I'm learning the Greek language. And this guy says, you know what's interesting about that verse? This pastor, this uh, professor says, present your bodies in the aorist tense. Well, you don't know what that means, but aorist tense means point action. He says what this passage is trying to tell us. Paul's saying to everybody there, first, you listening to me now? I'm telling you, give your life to the Lord. What's, what do you got to do first? Well, first, you have to give your members to the Lord, your body. Present your members as a living sacrifice. He's saying it's a point action thing. That's what Eros tense means. In other words, there's a particular time in your life when you say, okay, Lord, it's all yours. It starts sometime in your life where you're, you're saying, I, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I realize you created me to give, and I'm going to give myself to you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what you're going to call me to do, but I'm not going to be ruled by fear anymore, fear of you or fear of life or trying to give myself to other things. I'm going to give my life to you. Eros tense, point action. Happens at a time. But look at the next verse. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He says that's in the present tense. In the Greek, it's a different tense. Present tense means continual action. Oh, so I give myself to the Lord at one particular point action, and then the transformation takes continually reaffirming that. Reaffirming that. Taking another. I'm hoping that tonight you're reaffirming it again. I'm hoping that tonight, if you've never done that, I can get you to do that. This is where I'm going with you because you, you were made to give and I want you to give your life to the Lord. Say, it's all yours, Lord. And then the transformation starts to happen. Isn't it a beautiful verse? And do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to make you happy. Get all the stuff you want. Get all the pleasures you can accumulate and you're still going to be empty. You're still not going to find life. 
So give it up. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's going to change your mind. By, the t- by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable. It's even perfect because that's why you were made. Isn't that beautiful? So there's the point action thing of giving it to the Lord and then the transformation process. I've been being transformed for like 50 years. It's a long process, right? God's not going to quit on you, though. That's the cool thing. He never gives up. Oh, we might feel like quitting. We might be discouraged. We might be confused. Like, what in the world's the Lord doing? That's part of the process. That's the transformation. That takes work. It's like working out. That's like being on a diet. It's like God's changing you. That's what church is supposed to be like. I remember struggling with that when I was in Bible college and I read a book. If you saw this book in my library, it's all ragged because I was reading it all the time and it was very powerful in my life at that time. And it was about a famous, famous missionary. He was a guy that was like a world-renowned athlete in, in England. He was a cricket player. He would be comparable to a Babe Ruth or, uh, you know, anybody who's who's playing ball today, whether it's basketball or football, he's he's at the top of his game. He's world-renowned, and he becomes a Christian and decides he's going to do this very thing. I mean, uh, Romans 12, 1, 2, give his life to the Lord and then watch God transform. So literally at the peak of his career, he quits being a cricket player. The world, the world, not just England, but the world is shocked. And his name, it was the coolest name in the world. You can see why a 20-year-old kid wanted to read this. His name was C.T. Studd. Is that the coolest name? So I wanted to read this book about C.T. Studd. And he became this famous missionary, literally pioneer missionary in India, pioneer missionary in China, pioneer missionary in Africa. Unbelievable impact you read in the book. And he made this statement. I wanted to read this to you because this helped me. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I mean, I choke up almost saying that because that changed my life. I thought, well, if this is true, if this stuff's true, Jesus Christ really died for me. Well, then what could I give up that would even be close to that? And here's this cricket player that gave up his entire career and all the wealth and all the fame. And he said, no, this is nothing. Who cares if I'm a big cricket player? Who cares if I make money? Who cares if I have all these houses and cars and women? No, I don't want it. I want God. I was made by him, for him. So I give my life to the Lord and now I want to live it out and be transformed. Literally, many of the missions you hear about today in the world were initiated by C.T. Studd. Because he was willing to say, all right, I'll go. You know what we need in America? We need some CT studs. (laughs) We need some studs, all right. People say, I'm all for the Lord. That's it. I'm giving my life. That's what will transform us. That's what will transform our culture and bring people back to the Lord. If the church won't be the church, the world will continue to be the world in far beyond what is worse now. It'll get a lot worse. The only hope, I really believe, it's not Republicans, it's not Democrats, 
It's not business. It's not the stupid economy. Those things mean nothing. And like what's happening in China, what's happening right now in Iran, kind of prove it. God laughs at that, says, no, what's wrong with America is what's wrong with the world. It's their soul. They keep giving themselves to things that disappoint them, let them down, ruin them, make them violent and hate and angry. It's killing us all. And it's happening in the church because Christians won't give themselves to the Lord. That, that's really key, folks. That's where it all starts. So, have you done it? Have you done it the first time? Second time? Hundredth time? Yeah, for me, it's a rededication. I used to pray this when I first learned Romans 12, 1, 2. I literally, when I was 20 years old, 21, 22, I prayed that verse every morning because I wanted to get it in my life. I wanted it to be real. Do you? Hopefully, we can pray a prayer at the end of this sermon and you can do that again tonight to reaffirm who you are as a Christian. You're a giver. That's what you're made for. Secondly, we give all of ourselves to people to find Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. You may, may be familiar with this passage. It's one of the most famous ones in the New Testament. It's called the Great Commission where Jesus has had his ministry with all of his disciples. He's died. He's risen from the dead. He's at the end when he's going to be, right before he's going to be raised. I mean, he's going to ascend to heaven. We see it in Acts chapter 2. And right here, Acts chapter 1, actually. Acts 2, I'm sorry. But right here, we see um, Jesus telling his disciples what to do. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's Matthew 28. 19. Now we'll start verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When you think about it, what is it that we could give to people? Well, we could give them food. We could give them clothing. We could even give people friendship. But all those things are so far less than giving someone life. When you give Jesus to, to somebody, you're literally giving them a life, eternal life. So far superior to giving people food or clothing, which are very necessary, or giving them an education, great. But if you don't give them Jesus, you haven't helped them much because they'll give themselves to the wrong things and they'll be totally a mess just like the rest of the world. They'll just have more stuff. They'll just have full bellies. That doesn't do anything. We got to change people's souls. So we want to give them the greatest gift we can give them, which is what? Jesus, the Savior. That's what Romans 28, 19 through 20 is trying to say. The disciples are being told by Jesus, hey, go do it. This is your job now. You give Jesus to people. I remember early on when I became a Christian, at 18 years old, I had a friend named Rob Fisher. Rob was from the church I was going to, and Rob had been a Christian, walked the straight line his whole high school life and stuff where I was this wandering kid and just totally a mess, giving myself to the wrong things. And Rob taught me, after I became a Christian, how to share my faith. And it was interesting because the other day I was looking at this website. It's called Dare to Share. And there's this guy named uh, Greg Stir, and he's got these three words. And I'm, I'm reading these three words he used. Let's put them on the screen. Here they are. Ask, admire, and admit. He says, hey, here's how you share the gospel with somebody. Have you ever shared the truth of Jesus with somebody? 
Here's a simple outline. Anybody can do it. And Rob really was teaching me this way back 50 years ago in my life. He says, let's go to the shopping mall and we'll pull up alongside the kids hanging out in the shopping mall because we're just kids ourselves. We're only 18, 19 years old and just start asking them questions about life, about their spiritual life. This is really not that intimidating, guys. I mean, I don't know if I've ever found a person who hasn't said to me, I remember talking to this one guy I was scared to talk to. He was a very tough kid. Gotten in lots of fights. I knew him for a long time. And I started talking about the Lord. He goes, yeah, if you tell anybody what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hurt you. I go, okay, what are you going to tell me? He goes, I'm going to tell you, I tried to pray to God a few times because my mom and dad were always fighting. came from a really dysfunctional family. And he says, one night, I'm watching Billy Graham on TV, and I started to cry. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Everybody has tried to pray. Maybe you're five years old, 10 years old, but you tried to talk to God. Or you're in a desperate situation and you cry out to him. It, I don't know. So when you talk, start talking about this, it's not like you're talking about Mars or something. You're talking about a reality in their life. They've wondered about God. Eternity's put in our hearts by God, it says in the Bible. They, they have it there. You're not going to be pushed back. Even if they verbally say things to you, guess what? Yeah, they're thinking about it. In fact, sometimes the ones that push the hardest are the ones that thought about it the most. And they're maybe angry at God or upset because of what he let happen to them. But they know this. Number one thing, I would challenge you to share your faith with a neighbor, a friend, a brother, sister, anybody, by simply asking questions and listening to them. Listen to what they got to say. What's their experience? What are they going to talk about? Ask, have you ever prayed? Have you ever thought much about God? Oh, I was raised this, and they start telling you all these religious things. Ask, well, yeah, but have you ever felt like maybe you connected to them or something? Well, yeah, one time, you know, and they'll tell you something happened. Listen. And then, second thing, second thing, admire them. Maybe it's something in their character. Maybe it's something they disciplined themselves to do. Maybe it's something they did. Admire them for something. Boy, I, I never thought of that before. That's good. Thanks for bringing that out. Yeah, that's good insight. You know, maybe there, there's all kinds of things. We literally did this with kids in the shopping mall. And then we'd pull out this little four spiritual law booklet or something like that to explain the gospel. We'd get the last one. We would admit. So it's ask, admire, and admit. I ask the questions. I listen closely. You admire them for something, and they realize, oh, you're actually listening to me. Yeah, because when you admire them for something, they realize that you're actually trying to hear them and hear who they are. Then you can admit, well, tell them a little bit of your story. Yeah, I realized I couldn't get there. I tried really hard, but I, I wouldn't be good enough. And then I realized that's what God sent Jesus for. And you explain to them about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. He's the one that made it possible for God to accept you. You explain the gospel. Do you see how simple that is? I hope you write this down. I hope you take out your phone, you put ask, admire, and admit in your notes or something like that. These three words, it's really simple. You know what? It's actually kind of a natural way of doing it. The core of the core of the gospel is that someone, so if you want to make sure they're actually saved, not just praying a prayer with you, what you want to make sure they understand is that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place. It's called substitutionary atonement. That's what theologians call it. That he substituted for your sin, your inadequacies. That's what the last word admit means. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't attain God. I couldn't reach him. I prayed to him, but my prayers were hitting the ceiling. They weren't working. Why? Because it's just me. I needed Jesus to represent me. I needed Jesus to die on the cross for me and pay for my sins. See how simple that is? 
It really is. It's almost like, I thought about that, I thought, you know, that, that could almost be the end of the sermon right there. I teach you how to pray and, and teach you how to talk to people. It's really, really simple. I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of people I've done this with, but it's not hard. Why? Because when you start asking them questions, guess what? I don't know if I've ever met anybody that goes, no, I've never thought about that for war. No, I don't, I don't really care about that. And even if they say that, I know darn well that's not the truth. And they'll let me keep talking. Some of the hardest core people are the ones that fall the hardest for Jesus. Well, so I learned how to witness as an early Christian. And it wasn't very long. A couple of years later, the Lord started knocking at my door again and saying, Lord, that's not enough. What? I gave my life to you. I share the gospel with other people. What do you mean that's not enough? No, I want all of you, Marty. And I'm in a Bible study with my friend Mark. The guy leading it is almost old enough to be our dad. So we're listening to this guy. He knows the Bible a lot better than us. And he turns us to 2 Corinthians 9. Got your Bibles? Turn to 2 Corinthians 9. Where the Apostle Paul is teaching the Corinthians some truth. And he says to them in 2 Corinthians 9 these words. Here, let me read it to you. He says, here's the point. He's talking to the Corinthians. They too had shared their faith. They too had given them their lives to the Lord, but they were falling into carnality over and over again. He's like a weak church, right? Corinthian church was not a strong church. They're kind of weak. So Paul says, well, here's what you need to do. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I don't know if you can see it there, but it falls into really simple three points. And this is what this Bible study teacher taught us. He says, look at that first verse. Verse verse 6, he says... The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What does that mean? Well, if you just sow a little, don't expect to reap a lot. If you sow a lot, you should should expect to reap a lot. Simple principle, right? The more you sow, the more you reap. The less you sow, the less you reap. I mean, who couldn't understand that? And he says, here's a spiritual principle. How much do you give yourself to the Lord? How much do you sow for the Lord? What, 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 how, how dedicated are you? The Lord will take care. So the second verse. Look at the next one. Verse 7 is like the practice. So there's the principle. What's the practice? Each one must give. There's that word, give. As he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, it's a heart decision. It starts inside you. It's, it's, not, it's not a rule in the church. It's not a discipline. You try and work up, you make a decision, and then watch what God will do. He says each one, it's not a church decision. It's your decision. It's, it's, it's your heart's decision to give. Oh, so this Bible study teacher, he was challenging me and Mark and saying, guys, you guys are trying to do this little painting company to make money to go back to college. Yeah. He says, I want to challenge you about it. You guys need to decide in your heart what you want to give to the Lord. Okay. But we're in college. We're trying to 
make money for college. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah. But God wants you to give. Really? What does that mean for me? I mean, college. <laughs> we kept emphasizing that, too. He says, well, look at the next verse. Okay, what does it say? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, kept emphasizing the all, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. He says, doesn't that verse promise you? Okay, so you got the principle, you got the practice, and then that third verse, you got the promise of God saying, I'll back you up. I'll take care of you. So Mark and I prayed about it, and here's what happened. We had a little painting company. We paint the outsides of people's houses all summer long. This was like in, you know, May. So we're in Minnesota. It's May. We're almost done with school. I mean, literally within a week or two. And then we're going to start painting houses. We already had one or two set up. And you get paid a check after every house by the people you're working for. We prayed and prayed. We talked with this Bible study teacher about it. And here's the bold thing us two young college kids did. We said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give 20%, not even 10%, 20% of everything. So we go to the Bible study teacher and we tell him what we brag about. He said, we're going to get to the end of the summer and we're going to give 20% to God. And he said, that's fantastic. You guys are amazing. That's wonderful. He says, but why, why, why are you waiting until the end of the summer? Well, we want to make sure we get, he says, well, after you paint the first house, give 20% of that check. Well, he says, do you have faith or not? Do you believe that last verse? All sufficiency, all grace, he'll take care of you. If you rely on his promises, he will. Holy smokes. So we did it. We got through almost all the summer. We'd given 20%. Okay, we split it 50-50 with every house, right? So we split it 50-50 every check we get. And we're giving 20% to our church, 20% to missionaries, 20% to, his brother was involved in missionaries at that time, so all this stuff. We, get, we got maybe two weeks left, and we're not going to make it. And wouldn't you know, as we prayed every morning before we went out to work, God gave us the biggest job we'd ever had all summer. Some painters had come into this rich guy's house that lived on a lake. I mean, he, he had so much money, he had his own plane on the lake and his boat. And we came there, and he found our flyer in a Kmart parking lot. How, how did that happen? This is, God was just trying to say, guys, I'm telling you, God will take care of you. And this guy, when he saw us, he said, you guys can get all the paint off my windows. You guys can fix up what these other painters messed up, and they quit. I said, yeah. He said, well, how much you want? We told him our need. He said, no problem. We got done in a week. In a week, working like a long day. But God took care of us. At the end, we're like, God proved it to us. Hey, look at the principle. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. How do you put this into practice? Decide in your heart. Make a decision. Hold to it. Because what? God has all sufficiency, all grace. He's going to take care of you at all times. Do you believe that or not? I'm challenging you tonight. Do you believe that? With your time, with your money, with your energy, with your commitment to the church. Do you realize when the church becomes this kind of committed believers, it changes the world. It changes our culture. We could have revival like they're having in China. God's spirit is poured out on people like that because God says, I got your back. I will take care of you. So uh, that's where I learned how to be a giver of my money. <laughs> And my time and my energy it had a lot to do with why I'm even here today. Because you realize, what are you worried about? You're so afraid. Don't let that guide you. Trust God.
Those three verses, like the two I shared with you out of Romans, are life-changing for me and continue to be 40, 50 years later. I hope you hold on to them and treasure them. I treasure them in my heart. So, I got to finish. I want to help you become a committed giver, giving your life to the Lord, giving yourself to giving Jesus to others. I mean, that's what our church is constantly doing, giving Jesus to other people, always, over and over, through children's ministry, youth ministry, adult ministry, senior ministry, doesn't matter what it is. We're just trying to give Jesus to people because that's giving them life. And what, there was an old um, African-American preacher down in L.A. named E.V. Hill. He had this famous statement. I've said it before, but i got to say it again. It really struck me. He said this. You know, some of those guys, they just have a knack at statements. He, this guy was tremendous that way. And he could say it with a bold voice. I just can't say it, but he said, If God can get it through you, God can get it to you. <laughs> and he would just keep repeating, If God can get it through you, then God will get it to you. In other words, if he, won't, if he can't get it through you, why would he give it to you? But if he can get it through you, Somehow, we in the American church need to understand that. God didn't give us wealth just for us. He gave it for us to change our world. Because we're committed to one, two things, right? Give ourselves to the Lord. Give what we have to help people's lives be changed. You know, it won't be long. I'll end with this. You know, and I'll be stepping back from the leadership of this church. And God's already going to supply us with a new pastor. He's going to bring him and his wife here. We're going to be introduced to them just like you met Steve tonight. You'll meet this new senior pastor. It's going to happen. And I've been praying. Nobody, I haven't prayed for anybody more than I prayed for that guy. And I haven't even met him yet. But God's going to do that. Believe me, he's going to do that. And you know what Marty's going to do? Keep giving his life to the Lord and giving his resources to bring Jesus to people. I'll keep giving to the church. I'll keep being involved. That's what I want to see happen. Because I really believe God's going to use our church strategically located in one of the most dynamic places in the world. Do you realize that? We're, we're halfway between New York City and Washington, D.C. Two of the most powerful cities in the world. We get to have church here. Holy moly. If God could move us, he could change the whole world. But we first need to be that kind of committed givers and realize that's who God made us. So the worship team's coming out now and they're going to lead you in the last song. But before that, I want to pray with you. So bow your heads. Let's pray. Lord, we're here before you. We're Christians. We're more than Christians in a sense because you're, we're calling you our creator. And as we read the Bible, we realize you made us to give. That's who we are. And we're going to always give ourselves to something just like Paul David Tripp said. But often it's the wrong thing. And it's the wrong priorities. And it's the wrong truths that we believe in and they're really false. The wrong people. Sometimes I think it's us even. So first thing you got to do, first thing I need to do I, do, I do this all the time, Lord, forgive me. I've made some wrong choices. I've made some bad decisions. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I just, I, I'm so stupid sometimes, so wrong. I, I, I think I know and I don't know. 
So I hear the word of God and it rings true in my heart, in my mind. I go, yes, this is true. I know this is true. Okay, second step now is make a commitment. You're calling me tonight. To, I'm calling everybody in this church. God's speaking through me to you saying, come on, give your life to the Lord. Maybe it's for the first time tonight. It's starting to make sense. And you go, okay, as much as I can, Lord, here I am. Can you say that in your heart? As much as I am and much as I get about who I am, take my life. I'm dedicating, or maybe you're saying, I'm rededicating my life to the Lord. I'm presenting my body, a living sacrifice to you. Here I am, Lord. Take it. That's the only way I'm going to find any fulfillment or joy or, or life itself. It's in you, giving my life to you. Now, secondly, I need to commit myself to bring Jesus to somebody. Is there someone I'm supposed to be talking to in my family, in my neighborhood? Give me the ability to meet with them and ask questions and listen. Admire them for something in their life, their character, their decisions, their, their commitments to their family or whatever, so that they can understand I'm with them, I'm just like them. But I realized and I admit I can't do it. Neither can they. I can't find God. I can't meet with God. I can't talk. I need Jesus. They need Jesus. Show me somebody that can talk to, Lord. You don't think he'll answer that prayer? Give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody. Can you pray that? Lord, give me somebody to talk with. Help me not be so afraid. Give me boldness. May I be bold as a lion, but gentle as a dove. And so, I'm calling you tonight, the Lord's calling you, I believe, to a recommitment to Him and a recommitment to spreading the gospel. Lord, we want to be, like old E.V. Hill said, people that you can get things through to change people's lives and to change us. And the flow of your gifts through us is what gives us such meaning, fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy in our life. So Lord, may you be able to get it through us. We know you're going to give it to us for the glory of God. And so Lord, help us be these kind of people that see revival happen. A church where people come alive in Christ. And we see thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless.